Hey everyone, my name is Brian. I and my friend and 10-year NBA veteran Mason Plumley are the founders of AGC. We're a startup that's passionately pursuing the creation of a more generous future. Welcome again to a generous podcast. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and empower people like you who are listening. Thanks so much for being here to actually make the world a better place. Today's guest is a treat, no pun intended. His name is Darnell Super Chef Ferguson. I got connected to Darnell through a mutual friend. He's a professional chef. He has his own show on the Food Network called Super Chef Grudge Match. And my conversation with him is one of my favorite conversations I've had in recent months. We had a great talk. We talked about his unlikely path from being in and out of jail to becoming a professional chef with his own show on the Food Network. We talked about him navigating the weight and responsibilities of being, in his own words, a unicorn in his industry and striving to leverage his platform to create a better future for the kids who come from a similar background as him. We talk about how the most successful people have the highest tolerance for failure. And we talked about how he considers the most generous thing that you can give of is your time. We had a fantastic conversation. Let me add this before we jump in. From time to time on this podcast, we like to practice being a generous company by doing the occasional giveaway. This episode will be uh, such the case. So be sure to listen to the very end. All right. Enjoy the conversation with Darnell and see you on the back end. Hey, Darnell. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me for sure. I got a, a, an important question leading off with, how do you stay in such incredible shape while also being a professional chef. Oh, that's so easy. All the great chefs don't eat much of their own food. Oh, really? Believe me. You know how back in the day, they used to say, never trust a skinny chef, right? Yeah, yeah. That's not true. You should trust a skinny chef or a fit chef because, you know, they put so much work and passion in what they're doing. By the time they finish, they don't have an appetite to eat it. Oh, really? Yeah, so I don't tend to always eat after I cook. So I'll usually grab myself something on the side from somewhere else. But even last weekend doing an event, I did all this food, demoed it in front of everybody. Amazing three course. Didn't eat one lick. Went to a really? store afterwards and grabbed a burger. Really? You know? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Where did you grab a burger from? What was worthy of you going? The to... hotel had a, a place that I just grabbed the really? burger. Yeah, I just had to get something to eat. But I don't eat my food as much because it's funny. I seen a chef friend of mine the other day. She posted. She said, can someone please help me out? I'm so tired of eating gummy bears and Doritos for dinner. <laughs> and she's an amazing chef at one of the top restaurants in New really? York City. But that's what we feed ourselves, whichever is like left over. Oh, man. I was watching various videos of you all morning. And my wife was like, what do you doing because i kept texting her recipes and she's like you've never done this before <laughs> but i watched it was for oprah you did like a meatloaf cupcake is that right yeah. and i was like can you please make this as quickly as possible actually i also <laughs> texted in mason because he's getting ready to open a restaurant this week in chicago and i was like you need to add this to the menu i don't i don't care if it doesn't fit the theme at all you just need to add this to the menu <laughs> yeah <laughs> as that is, as possible. oh man that's one of my signature things signature dish right there uh, meatloaf cupcakes mashed potato icing candy bacon sprinkles maple heat glaze and now we got like 24 karat goat so that speaks to like it's it's crazy that you wouldn't eat 17 of those after you finish m making them i feel like if i if i had the skill to no. do that i'd be eating like twenty thousand calories a day yeah see it, it just don't work like that you know you'd be so tied into what you're doing you want to be so good that before you know it you realize you didn't take care of yourself because uh, you're so yeah. focused on taking care of the people interesting so um fill us in a little bit about your story you were born in ohio is that right 
But technically, I was born in West Philadelphia, really? born and raised on the playground. Was where I spent most of my days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was born in Philly, raised in Columbus. Okay. And got the Louisville through college. I went to Culinary Arts School here. Was recruited to come here for college. Kind of like the same way, like Mason may have been recruited to go to college, as the same way they recruit chefs for vocational schools. Really? Imagine I'm in vocational school, so I only went to high school for an hour a day, right? And then I went to school to be a chef for the rest of the day. We go through competitions. We do everything. And these culinary arts schools come to you to recruit you to come to their colleges. Same way. You know, you got the best ones in the nation. The mm. number one is the CIA in New York City. Then you got Johnson and Wells. And then at the time, it was Sullivan University. It was at three, which really? is in Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm at. And I ended up picking there because it was the closest ride home to Columbus, three-hour ride home. And I was like, mm. I can come home on the weekends if I get a little nervous or something, you know? I feel like college athletes always have wild recruiting stories. Are there any culinary art wild recruiting stories where they like, you know, illegally <laughs> dropped a bag or something, you oh, know, they're cash or something like that? Uh, no, not yet. It was, culinary <laughs> arts wasn't what it is now back then. You know, the chef life wasn't as glamorous. It wasn't as big. When I got to college at 05, it was just now Food Network getting their legs underneath themselves. And uh, you need some public vehicle like that to really bring it up mm. to speed. Like, you know, basketball without the NBA mm. was would have been harder. So the cooking needed Food Network in order to, like, get its publicity yeah, yeah. out there, what this is and who does it. So, no, but I was recruited by all of them, I would say. I had Duke, North Carolina, wow. um, Ohio State, and the University of Louisville <laughs> on the uh, agenda. <laughs> in culinary arts terms. <laughs> I'm curious because I actually tried to watch as many interviews with you as possible. And for somebody, you know, you have your own TV show. I couldn't find as much, which was really interesting to me. I saw a little bit of you alluding to your story growing up, but like what, what inspired you to go down the path of, of cooking? Oh man. So this is a good story because I think a lot of people are trying to find their passion or how to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life, you know? Um, mm. And for me, it was Emerald. Someone who had no similarities to me at all, but I was watching him do that. Remember back in the day, Emerald Live, where he did that, bam. Yeah. You know, I was watching that, like in this prime, I was there, like, like I was watching Jordan in this prime. Like, yeah, I was yeah. there, I was alive at that time. You know, like I was alive when this was <laughs> happening. So um, watching that show, I was very captivated by his like bravada, how he, just his demeanor. I liked his chef mm. coat. I liked his style of cooking. I liked his swagger. I liked everything about him. And at that time, I hadn't been cooking. My level of cooking at that time was um, mixing cereals together, like missing Fruit Loops and Fruity <laughs> Pebbles together, you know, like stuff like that with my cousin on the weekend, yeah, yeah. like making slushies at their house mm. of like, just like putting a drink in the freezer and like getting it out and just like hitting it with a fork to making slushy, you know, so my level of knowledge was as bad as it could ever be for somebody. Mm. But what happened is when I had free time, I was watching Emerald. And I figured that if I enjoyed doing it with my free time, mm. I may enjoy doing it as a profession. So I went to vocational school. I was doing really bad in school. Mm. My ninth and tenth grade year, like literally failing out of school. Like a zero, people give me zero point something mm. GPAs. I had it. Really? And my junior and senior year, you had to banish to go to vocational school. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to school to be a chef. If it doesn't work out for me, mm. at least I'm going to have great lunch. <laughs> what could go wrong here? And I went yeah. there and my first day of school, they give you a potato, they give you knife skills board that kind of tells you these are the knife skills you need to learn how to make. And my teacher was like, okay, Darnell, 
and here goes your knife. And I'm like, no one's ever gave me a knife before. No one would have given me a knife that's 10 inches long. Like, yeah. what would I kid my from where I'm from doing that? Yeah. She's like, I want you to make all these knife cuts and I'll be back. She didn't demo how to do them or anything. And she came back and, and they were perfect. Hmm. And she's like, how long you been cutting for? And I was like, ain't nobody ever gave me a knife. And she's like, you got the knife skills of somebody who's been doing it for 30 years. Hmm. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, right. Mm. And then from there, she just started speaking life into me. Mm. And at that point in my life, I was a junior in high school, and I never felt special. Wow. I never was the best basketball. I wasn't the best football. I was always average in everything. Wow. I, but I hung with my, my closest friends who I grew up in the same neighborhood with. They were the most popular people in the world. Mm. You know, like they were the ones everybody wanted to be with. They were the ones. So I was very close mm. to that. Yeah. But I was never that person. I was always like the good guy. I remember growing up, this one guy who lived in our neighborhood who was the popular. Everybody wanted to be like him. I remember he came over to me one day and told me he thought I would be like a mailman one day. Because he thought I was pretty average. Like I was in the middle of the road. Like I was a bad person, wasn't mm. like a star. And I remember that for to this day. So when I got to 11th grade and this lady told me I was like great at something mm. and that she had never seen something like this before, I'm like, okay. Like now I'm thinking like this really for me. Like mm. I, I play basketball, football, all that stuff on the back burner. Like I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. It didn't take long for me to believe it because she told me something that I had been feeling my whole life. Like, I always felt really? special. I remember wow. sitting in my mom's car on the weekends listening to music, like right in front of the apartment. And just like dreaming. Mm. You know, I would dream to go somewhere else, do something else, be anything but where I was at. Mm. But nothing said I would get there. Because uh, I wasn't good at nothing. What, how you, what are you going to do mm. to be great? You know, and then I found this mm. thing called cooking out. Mm. And never looked back, man. And it ended up being that wow. I was really good at it. Like, exceptional at it and it got to a point to where it was like i was you know the chef for usa teams and things like that all these things kept happening to show me that you are special and you're going to be something mm. very very special in this industry one day mm. how was it received by like your family and your community i'm gonna go be a professional chef like had anybody in your family had ever done that anybody in your community ever done that no my family loved it my mom loved it, uh, grandparents, everyone loved it, but no one knew I did it though. Hmm. Outside of my family, only one person in like my neighborhood group, they knew because he went to the same culinary arts school as me, but no one like in my school knew I was going to school to be a chef. Wow. I hid it from everybody. I literally hiding behind the ovens so people didn't see me wearing this big stupid tall hat. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, like they used to wear all the time. So I was very, this ain't culturally appropriate I mean, I knew it wasn't but I also knew if they see me it was going to be some like jokes and I was right. like ah no one knew it until my senior year by the time in my senior year I'm starting to realize these dudes ain't about to do nothing with their life <laughs> at least I got something <laughs> that's right you know I'm like let me stop being ashamed of something mm. you know my guidance counselor told me that she's like Darnell like you could be special in this mm. and I was like yeah I still want to play football she's like Darnell you can do some things in this. Trust me. I know it ain't normal. I know you ain't never seen nobody do it. But she's like, you should try it out. Like, really go to college. So if it wasn't the fact that I was so bad at football, I would have thought I should have been a football <laughs> player. <laughs> but was not that good. Yeah. So that's how I really got into it. It was really through interest. Mm -hmm. It wasn't through, I knew this was my life's thing. Like, sometimes you just got to do what you know you want to do. Yeah. You know, it don't always have to be like this instant. I would have never gotten to it if I thought I had been cooking my whole life. Hmm. And I love my mom and dad in the kitchen. That's not the story for everybody. And that's not the story for most people.
Yeah. But I got somebody, I was doing an event last week, and she's like, you know, my daughter, she's going to culinary art school. She's 46. Hmm. She's always been interested in it, hmm. but she never took it. She went a different road. It's like, it's a reason why you have a, a pull towards something. And the world always tries to make sure you don't go too far and they'll throw you off with saying, oh, you can't make a career out of that, though. It's like, yeah. you can make a career out of anything. Trust me. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, one of my other observations is just watching you speak elsewhere is you seem really in a healthy way comfortable owning your gifts where i think to the point that you just made a lot of times as soon as somebody acknowledges their specialness or their giftedness the world is kind of ready to be like hey who the heck do you think you are to, to talk about yourself that way yeah. and sometimes even humility is pitched as like all shucks i suck at everything <laughs> could you just talk a little bit about that even in this you're kind of acknowledging hey i knew i was special Somebody spoke this life into me to acknowledge that as well. And that's all I needed to be able to run and transform my entire life. Yeah. So it's two things. I've ran into someone one time who opposed me in that. So I worked for me. It's like, Darnell, why do you talk about yourself like this? Mm. And why do you like, and I, I wouldn't say anything that was arrogant. You know, wouldn't you want your son to talk about himself like this? Mm. And she's like, I definitely am hoping he will one day. Mm. So why you ask me? You know, like, this is what we want our kids to do. I'm doing what my mom wanted me to do. Mm. And my friend used to always call it. He said, we have so much confidence. Mm. Like, I have so much confidence in who God is and how he made me. Mm. That it doesn't come from who I am. Like, somebody asked the other day, how do you think of this stuff? I'm like, I don't know how I think of these recipes because I'm not trying to think of them. They just come into my head. And it's who I am. It's what I was given. Yeah. And I have this confidence where I understand mm. who God is and I can have mm. confidence in him, which seems like I have confidence in myself, mm. but I'm really just doing everything I'm talking about by myself was given to me. Nothing you mm. hear me talk about myself, I did. Yeah. You know, it was it was given to me. So it's so easy when you know the source mm. of your confidence isn't in yourself. That is how I can really do it because I do, I do have those doubts and I do have those times, those thoughts in my head. Like people may think that, I'm something different than I am. But then if they ask me is when I get the chance to kind of talk to them and they get to see like, no, this is what we need more young men to be like. Mm. It's having confidence in what God says. Mm. I'm just believing the Bible. Mm. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> like, I, You mad at me for believing what God said? Okay. Mm. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, yeah. David was the same way. Mm. And I connected when I got into the word. So one of the people who changed my life was King David, hmm. reading his story hmm. and learning who he was. Even his enemies talk about how his people thought he was so full of himself. Hmm. I could relate with feeling like that. Hmm. So I just think that I believe what God said to be true yeah. about how he created me, about who he is, about what he will do. Hmm. And when you believe those things, your view of yourself changes. Hmm. Like I used to think like my hairline was horrible until I like <laughs> got like <laughs> like I used to like, horrible hairline, uh, which it is is not the best in the world. Yeah. But to me now, I'm happy with it. Mm. It's like I just had to get like locked in and like God don't make no mistakes. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Like this is who I am. Like why 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 yeah. think anything negative of it? Mm. Yeah, it's probably like the truest and most beautiful definition of giftedness, right? To understand you're gifted is to acknowledge that somebody has given you those gifts and then using them to their maximum potential, as opposed to, again, the sort of all shucks, no, I suck, everything I do is bad. And always like downplaying it too. Right. Like, that's the thing I see a lot. People always downplay what they have. Right. And it's like, that's the opportunity to give the glory to where it came from. Mm. So, oh, man, you're amazing at this one, man. Thank you, man. God has been good. You know, like, yeah. humble is not always downplaying for me. 
humble is just uplifting the one who goes above it. <laughs> yeah, like it wouldn't be humility if somebody had said to Tiger Woods in his prime, hey, you're so great at golf. And he's like, no, I'm not very good at golf. That's not humility. That's that's lying, right? He's <laughs> like, what planet is he from? Right. You know, I know part of your journey too, you've gone through a lot of adversity. I think one of the things I really admired of listening to you speak is it seems like you have a real vulnerability about your own story, even like your willingness to embrace failure. It's just really beautiful. Could you elaborate some on even your own journey? And obviously you didn't have a super direct path to doing what it is that you're doing now. Yeah, um, I think even being on the high of the highs of being the chef for the USA teams in the 2008 Summer Olympics of Beijing when I was like 19 years old, right? To coming home and then that next year getting locked up like six times, mm. becoming everything that we read about. And, you know, the D.A.R.E. program back in the day, we used to be all, all be a part of. Mm -hmm. Like, once you get in the system, you can't get out of it. Mm -hmm. I met a lady yesterday who couldn't believe I had been in jail. Mm -hmm. I was always in there. You know, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> but it's like, I didn't know anything about myself when I was doing those things, too. Mm -hmm. it, it's just an understanding of, you know, I had an opportunity that day to make a better decision. And that started with me one day saying, today is the opportunity I've been looking for just to, to make the right choices. The opportunities are not coming. I just want to put that PSA out there. They're not coming, the magical ones. Mm. What's happening is the opportunity is here today for us. It's just, mm. are you seeing that opportunity? And I've seen those opportunities. Mm. And what's been consistent, like even on TV, I competed on Food Network for seven years straight. Could not stand competing. Did not like competing, mm. but I did it. And I thought like I wanted my own show one day. Mm. And I thought I would be doing it for a year or something. And it got to the point to where even competing became stressful for me mentally afterwards. Even if I won, I wasn't happy because I knew I wanted something bigger than that. Mm. I just had to stick with it. And I remember telling myself, I was like, I'm never going to compete again, ever. Mm. And God was like, okay, well, don't compete again. Mm. And we will see where this goes. And, um, next thing you know, I'm doing it for the next you know, say five years after that. Mm. And we got to the point where I was judging and then co-hosting and hosting. But I, I love the fact that I like to share, like you said, those times because how do I put this? In my life, I've always had opportunities to become somebody new. And I think God is always trying to give us an opportunity to become a closer version of ourselves to what he created. Mm. And I think the thing that's taken me there through the adverse times is that I said, okay, this is how I've handled my life to this point. I'm willing to change it to handle it like this now. Mm. You know, whereas most people won't change from where they're at, their way of thinking, their way of going about life, what they will, what they won't do, the level of respect they have to have, and the level of disrespect they will take. Mm. I am very okay with God saying, hey, in this season of life, this is how you was. Hmm. But in this season of life, I need you to change. You may have to take some more stuff than you did last season. Um, and it's like, no, I would never let somebody do that to me. And God's like, you're supposed to be doing everything for me. Hmm. You know, so for me, I think always being okay with changing who I am and like letting God mold me consistently instead of promoting myself and trying to make myself into this big person has been like the key to adverse situations. You know, like I got to humble myself a lot more. And that, I think, is a big key to dealing with the jail time. I mean, getting locked mm -hmm. up a lot and realizing I need to change. It ain't working. To the TV stuff, the restaurants, mm -hmm. everything. The key has always been, are you willing to do it differently? Mm -hmm. And I'm always willing to do it the mm -hmm. way God is trying to show me I need to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. 
not sure the best way to phrase this. When you think about people, you know, for example, when somebody is in jail, out of jail, in jail, out of jail, which the rates at which people return to incarceration is crazy, right? Extremely high, yeah. Do you feel like you look at people who are in similar circumstances with a greater sense of compassion because you can empathize or is it more frustration because you broke the cycle and you've experienced uh the, the breaking of the pattern? Oh, definitely the empathy of um, the situation, but also the sadness of knowing that they can't get out of it by themselves. Mm. Like the realization that these situations are made for you not to get out of them without the help of God. Mm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, yeah. It's like you're in a situation. And I was talking to someone yesterday. I was like, Man, people, he was upset and he was mad at the situation and what was going on with him. And I was like, how many times are we mad at the devil? Hmm. Not really often are we ever mad at him, but we're always mad at God. Uh, and I was like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. until people can realize that the good thing about what I've been through is that people listen to me now. People in those situations, they listen to me. And the ones who lock in, I can't guarantee anything for them except for I can show them someone who can show them everything. Hmm. But the key to that is I was telling them, even the guy yesterday, I was like, man, do you understand that? You have something so special in you mm. that there is a force going on around us that's trying to stop everything from happening for you. And you got to fight it in a different fight than you have before. Mm. So when I see people in those situations, I can definitely sympathize, empathize with them. Mm. But I'm also saddened to know that most of them, what I know and what I know to be true, you got to be ready to hear it. Not many people are ready for that. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't ready for it. I was 24 when I first heard the gospel. Mm. You know, when I first heard about God and Jesus, I was 24 years old mm. when I realized David and Goliath wasn't a folktale. Mm. I thought it was like Jack and the Beanstalk. Mm. You know, like that's how far off I was from God at 24. Mm. So when I met a lady yesterday at the donut shop and she, she knew how I was, we talked and she was like, hey, can you keep my son lifted up? Mm. And she's like, you're 23 getting together. I was like, ma'am, I was 24 mm. before I even thought about getting it together. She's like, what? I can't believe that. Uh, I'm like, I was 24 before I even like started to click something. Yeah. And uh, so it does give people hope for their kids a lot mm. and i think it can give the people in that situation some hope but i definitely empathize with people and i'm not hard on anyone as far as like what they're doing and what sure. they should be doing because i got you know everybody got it took a mountain to be moved for me to get here it didn't take a, a mm. little bit I, it took a lot to get here so i know for everybody else mm. it's going to take a whole lot for them too yeah so it's going to take some time yeah are there particular people when you look at back that sort of transformation in your life that you look at yourself as a recipient of their generosity and their influence to break that cycle and be living the life that you're living now? Yes. Yeah, so I still keep up with this guy's name is Chad Mosteller. He's like an older brother to me. Mm. So I had finally gotten to the church, right? And I got to the church because I was so angry. Uh, you, know how you, you said you got in the church because you were so angry? So angry. I was mad. If you talked about Ohio State Buckeyes, just trust me, we were going to have the argument of a lifetime. Like, I was so <laughs> like, every, if you didn't agree with my thinking, I was mad. Like, yeah. You know, like that's a, oh my gosh, that's a sad way of living life. And sadly, a lot of people live that way. Yeah. As far as like their thinking mm. is right. And mm. if you don't agree with them, it's thumbs up. You know, um, mm. so I was like that. So that's why I can understand people who like that. Um, but he did something to me that I'd never seen. He invited me into his life. Mm. He discipled me for a year. So I was with him almost four to five days a week for a year. And he led me into his family, to his business. Like I'd never really been mentored by anybody. No one's ever came beside me and walked with me before. And um, he trained mm. me up on just 
learning the Bible, understanding it, but just life, like outside of all that, mm. he showed me something else that's going to be so valuable for me for the rest of my life to where the most generous thing I can ever give somebody is my time. Mm. And I'm learning that more and more every single day that my time is the greatest gift I have. Mm. And he gave me so much time that now that's my way of giving. Like some people say, don't have to do this. I'm like, yeah, for sure. Because mm. if I say, yeah, I can't sacrifice nothing else more than mm. that. I can give you a donation or money, but that's going to be gone and it's going to come back. But what ain't come back in some time. So he was so good of like yeah. just showing me how to actually walk with somebody, how to actually like live with mm. somebody, how to actually be with somebody and not just try to fix them, but just like walk beside them. They're here. Mm. You're here. Just walk beside them. You don't have to just let them come into your life. Let them see what you got going on. Walk Mm. them over for dinner. It could just be relational. It don't always have Mm. to be so, well, this is our plan. Sometimes people just need relations. And he was really big on that. So that's somebody who really invested a lot of time in me. When he didn't have to, I wasn't super chef. Yeah. Let's be very clear. <laughs> you know, I wasn't this hmm. guy. Yeah, he just cared about you because he cared about you. There wasn't like an ulterior yeah, he motive. Just, he just did it. And, uh, and now I do it for, for so many people. And um, it's the way of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing greater I can give than mm-hmm. that. I want to ask about that, but I, I do want to make an observation because I feel like it's interesting hearing your story. The two most maybe pivotal generous moments you've referenced is somebody in high school telling you you're good at something. And then somebody in your early, mid-20s spending time with you. You know, it's like a a generous word, generous time, which is really interesting because I think a lot of times when people think of generosity, they think they can't do it because they're not, you know, a millionaire. And they're like, well, I don't have more money than I know what to do with to give away. But anybody can be generous with a word and anybody can be generous with their time. It doesn't matter how much money you make. Anybody can be generous in those expressions. And just think about it. If more people were generous in those two places, the world would be a total upside down place mm. you know like literally yeah. upside down like we'd be in a whole different world we wouldn't yeah. even know what to do with ourselves if people were generous in those two areas more mm. than they were in like a financial area yeah because that's a lot of people that we talk about that's what they need the most of mm. that's really what they need they may want something else but they need someone to speak life you could have seen last night talking to this guy at this table mm. and when i told him about what god had for him and how his life must have this on it. Like you could just see him starting to tear up. You could just feel the way the words were changing his whole body. Interesting. That's what the power of generous words can do when you are intently saying, I'm going to invest yeah. into you through how I speak to you and how I spend time with you and what I sacrifice mm-hmm. and those kind of things. That was my way of loving. Though. Like That's who I am as a person. So God had these people speak to me in a language I could hear. My love language is mm. touch. You know, so <laughs> I'm a relational, like I'm a people person. Like that's my thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly true. Yeah. It's interesting when you share that. I actually interviewed Jordan Norwood, who was a, a wide receiver for the Broncos and he won Super Bowl 50. He had the longest punt return in Super Bowl history until this last Super Bowl. He told a very similar story where he was at a camp at Penn State in high school, had never envisioned himself as a Division One athlete. And this one coach pulls him aside in the middle of drills real quick and is like, hey, you can play at this level. And it forever changed the trajectory of what he did. It's it's really amazing to hear kind of a similar story in your own life in high school. And I got this thing, so I got this notes from this event I was at, and it said, people tend to become the way you look at them. Mm. People tend to become the way you look at them. Mm. And that is so true. Like what you just said, like how that guy looked at him, how he spoke to him. People just don't get what the power of the tongue can be. Mm. And that's a true, true statement, especially for myself, because that's how I started. And it seems like that's the path God has me on as far as I keep it going. 
Um, but I think for me, the greatest thing to do is not have time and cancel something important because something is more important. Hmm. That's the greatest way of thinking about it, mm. you know, because my schedule is always full to the sure. max. So yeah. to cancel something that is important for something I believe to be more important is mm. that is that is that generosity of time that I'm talking about. Mm. Um, it could be from starting our Super Chef Academy, where we're trying to expose inner city kids to culinary arts. Mm. You know, it could be the one on one getting a text the other day from this kid who dropped out of high school, who's motivated by me. And I'm like, OK, well, well, from his mentors, hey, give him my number so I can reach out to him myself. Mm. It's just always somebody. There's way more opportunities out there than you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm I'm usually always available for them. Hmm. So that I think that's why I find you tend to find what your heart is really looking for, hmm. um, and it seems like it keeps finding me. That is really just my way of doing it. Is by because I am like a unicorn in my industry. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's yeah. not many me in the Food Network. Yeah. But it's starting up, though. It's starting to change. It's starting to happen. But I stick out. Yeah. And people who look like me just want to relate so much. There could be the conversation at the gym with someone who just stopped and seen the TV show yesterday. But mm. they really just want to talk about what inspires them. And I get to get into them because they listen to me now. So mm. it's just all the time. Yeah. Man. It's time. It's giving up. I may be the gym to work out. But I'm going to give you 10 minutes. You know, say not in my head, but I mean, that's yeah, how long yeah. it takes, you know, right. uh, I really want to get it and get out, but right. say, hey, come on, let's go ahead and have this talk, you know? So it's just a momentary, like just the sacrifice yeah. of, um, just the time that mm -hmm. I have. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about, you know, when you were in 10th grade, you were keeping the fact that you wanted to be a chef, a secret because it's like, and I'm going to get, <laughs> <laughs> you know, made fun of a lot. Yes. I mean, now there's somebody out there that maybe that 10th grader is like, I'm going to be like that guy. And all his friends are like, man, that's awesome. You know, like Michael Jordan exists in this, in this yeah. world, you know, world now. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's like, man, I want to be like Mike, you know, I want to be like Darnell. No, for sure. That's it. And that, that is a hundred percent. And I was literally just, before I got here, I was in a meeting and uh, he was telling me, like, man, I didn't know you were you. He's like, my wife always talked about this mm. super chef guy. And then we seen you one day somewhere. And he's like, she's like, oh, there goes super chef. She was like, which one? And she's like, the one with the braids. She's like, the one with the braids right there? That's him? And, <laughs> and he's like, I had no idea. I thought you was just like, I had no idea you would be you. You know? Um, and it's just like, yeah. it's such a cool thing, man. It really is. Because there's still that exposure thing we deal with. Like, I get calls from nonprofits all the time and say, hey, I got a kid who wants to cook. And we told him, hey, you should look into going to culinary arts school. He said, I can't do that. He said, men don't cook. Hmm. And I'm like... Where are they from? Interesting. Where they hear this stuff at. Like, they're just so blocked off. Their community, I tell people all the time, in my community, I think I've seen one white person until I was about in the fifth grade. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So my whole life, I hadn't seen anyone but black people in my neighborhood. I had never seen it before. Yeah. And when I got to a different elementary school, my fifth grade year, I was mind blown when I went to the school. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> I never, like, you know, you would thought I was living on Mars. Mm. I wasn't. I was living in the city mm. that doesn't get exposed to much, but what's in that city, in that neighborhood. So for now, for mm. me, we got to go into those neighborhoods and let people know what we're doing and what's possible. And that's why exposure is like mm. my biggest thing that we're doing right now is trying to expose kids to things yeah. that they wouldn't see before. Because that's what changes people is like being able to believe and see and dream and think. It's hard to dream when you ain't really never seen that. Yeah, do you see, I'm super curious, like you go into a school, do you see a kid almost change even in that encounter where, you know, at first they're starting and making fun of, oh, there's not men who cook. And then at the end, they're like, this is what I want to do absolutely with my life. 
Yeah, it's so different now. Most times I go to school now is because these kids have asked me to come. Oh, cool. It used to be the teachers asked me to mm. come. And so it's like it's such a different playing field now. Mm. When I come in and they're talking to me, like, oh, we all watched your show last night. Everybody mm. did. Like uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is where it says King David just became king. And he's like, I've been exalted for the sake of God's people. Mm. You know, like all this stuff I have going on in my life, all these blessings and experience on TV, everything that's happening and that's going to happen is really to bless the people, yeah. uh, not really for myself. Mm. Because when I go in those schools now, it's like, man, it's so different. They, The way they listen, you know, so I imagine Steph Curry has such an effect on kids mm. because they'll listen to everything he has to say yeah. because of where he is at. You know, and that's one of the biggest blessings about where I'm at now is that I have the ear yeah. of the youth. Yeah. So uh, it's just excitement, taking tons of pictures and really mm. just speaking life into them, man. Like, like kind of like we're doing now, yeah. but on their level. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's so beautiful to think about of how many even thousands of kids now will in adulthood talk about you coming into their school as a formative event for why they're doing what they're doing. It strikes me, too, that you have a real sense of responsibility, probably giving in some way, I would imagine, the same talk, you know, saying a lot of the same things over and over again. How do you go to that place of being like, hey, this is a, a fresh group of kids. I need to give them my best. This is not just one more charitable obligation yeah. in my schedule. Like I sense from you a genuine passion of if you go do this tonight, you're going to give your absolute best. Yes. Yeah. So I changed my format up. If I go to anywhere and they want me to speak or I'm talking, I never do it like a speech anymore. Mm. I only do Q and A's with the kids. I only do Q and A's with the people mm. because I've noticed that my job of coming in is to answer with one their heart. I don't want to tell you what I want to tell you. Mm. I can give you a speech all day, but it's like, how can I connect to everybody as their own people. Mm. It has to be said like a Q&A. Everybody can ask any question they want to ask me. It has to be like that. Interesting. Because that's how you keep it new. Because yeah. now they're, now every student is on the edge of their seat, huh. just waiting. Whereas they used to be like, now they're all injured because they know the question, their question's coming up or they just got done. You know, like everyone's anticipating. Yeah. It. I'm able to engage them and they feel it personally. Mm. I didn't want it to be like, I stopped doing speeches for years. Mm. I just stopped. I was like, nah, man, I don't feel Feel right preaching to people mm. in the sense of I'm telling you and I didn't didn't like that mm. uh, and then over time I was like okay Darnell I think this is your way it's interactive mm. it's back and forth we can joke we can have fun they can give me something and I can give them back what they ask for mm. and that's the best way for them to receive information is for them to give me what they need and then I give it back to them mm. so that's how I really keep it different for every school or anywhere mm. I go talk to it is even if it's in front of a hundred people you need to have a representative up there next to me. Hmm. And we need to be asking questions and have a mic out there for other people to ask questions. Because when you ask me a question, I may talk for five or 10 minutes, hmm. but then we go to the next one. It still feels like that kind of speech thing, but it's based off of their interests. And I want to meet them where they're at, not tell them where they need to be. at. I feel like one of the other ways that I've experienced you from afar is just your resiliency and transparency as it pertains to like success takes work and seizing opportunities like that talk you did at google i was listening to it and it was like really motivational where you were talking i basically like what you want is a lot closer than what you realize yeah. and you were talking about even like your relationship with emerald or these different mentors in your life where you sort of assumed oh they never would pick up the phone or they would never give time to you and one of the skills that you acquired in your journey to success was the belief of hey you just have to try and the worst thing that can happen is somebody says 
No. Yep. Yeah. He usually have not because we asked not. Like people, yeah. you can't tell yeah. you how many people are like, I can't believe you respond. I never thought you would respond. Mm. Well, you never sent me a message. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. like, <laughs> of course you didn't think I respond. I can't respond to nothing. Yeah. I just think some part of life is simple and we've complicated it. Mm. The best thing you can do in life is do what you can do. Mm. And what you can't do, you got to put that in God's hands. Mm. But the problem I've seen is that most people aren't doing what they can do. They're literally not doing what they can do. They're so mm. worried about what they can't that they never get anywhere. When we started our restaurants up, we were so focused on being the best that we never even realized we were in the back of a gyro restaurant. Mm. Was that the... Uh... Was was that the, I watched a video of you from like six years ago where you were in the back of a consignment. Oh, that was uh, another one. That's the same concept. That was the same season of life. Like I was popping up and doing yeah. restaurants wherever they would let me do them at because we didn't have money. But the thing about it is what made us successful is we didn't wait until we had money to put the plates out we wanted to. We said, hey, yes, we got to do it now. If we don't do it, what we got, we will never get there. <laughs> you know, whereas yeah. most people are waiting until they get there. Like, well, when I get here, I'm going to mm. do this. I'm, no, just do it now. Yeah. Just do it now and do a great job at it. Do the best you can do at it and see how it works out for you. That's so interesting you say that because that struck me in particular because so you had this storefront. You made a joke about how you were basically like in a Cracker Barrel. You know, people shop in the front and they eat in the back. It was not the fanciest uh, consignment uh, store. Horrible. And then you go to you the back. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say horrible, but it it was not as um, maybe well laid out as a Cracker Barrel. No, it was. A, oh, my goodness. This is the hardest point of my culinary career. How did I come from the Olympics? Five diamond restaurants to the back of a consignment store. Yeah. Like, wow. Think about that. I was at the Olympics. I mean, I was 19 years old cooking for USA team. I came back, had some of the best restaurant jobs in the country. And I'm in the back of a consignment store. Yeah. Making breakfast now. Well, what was amazing to me watching that video was exactly what you said. The excellence of the presentation. You did a Hulk waffle. The presentation was beautiful. It looked like something that you would see at like a, a five-star restaurant. It was all we had, man. We You only get one chance in this life, right? Mm. And I've always had this spirit in me that says, don't wait. Mm. I've shot more pilots for shows people have never seen. I spent my own money on mm. than they would ever know. Before mm. I got my Food Network show, I've always had this motor in me to say, just try it, man. I yeah. shot a pilot one time for $10,000. This is years ago, like 15 years ago. $10,000 it cost me. Never did one thing with the video. I thought I was going like, to sell it to somebody. Never did one mm. thing with it. I just, it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, and I just think that the restaurant, our pop-ups were a good representation of life. Mm. You can't wait. You don't have the opportunity to wait until you get somewhere or do something for something to line up. You just got to do the best that you can with what you have right now. Yeah. And you'll realize you have everything you ever needed. Everything else is going to find you and come to you. Mm. But we realized because we were doing the kind of food we were in the back of Cosima stores, the amount of attention that was on us was astronomical. Mm everybody's talking about this place can't believe this place mm. oh my gosh have you heard about this place before now just imagine if we did that and just gave you some pancakes eggs and bacon right right there would have never been anything yep. no we're just waiting until we get here this is our menu right we don't believe that you've been doing this forever uh so mm. it's like i'm a believer that you have to maximize opportunities you have not try to yeah. worry about the ones you need yeah it's striking to me the degree to which the most successful people tend to have the highest tolerance of failure you would think the inverse is true right yeah seeing jobs everybody and you realize that when you when you look into their life right okay failure is the biggest sign of success 
You know, mm. what's not a sign of success is never failing. You know, you ain't doing yeah. something big enough, all right? You, yeah. didn't, you ain't taking no chances. You're playing it safe. You may be yeah. successful, though, but right. you may not be anywhere close to where you could be. That's the difference. Yeah. The, the, my definition of success is how close am I to where I could be or should be. Mm. You know, not how not right. where I am right now, but how close am I to where I really can be right now? And it's one of the things I appreciate about you because your vulnerability about quote unquote failures, which I mean, they're not failures at all, right? The failure is never trying. Yeah. You're having these lessons, learning, progressing. And, you know, obviously the fruit of your success is, you know, having these things not work and probably learning something and trying something new or finally opportunity breaks through. I think your vulnerability and your story of that has to be really inspiring. Also, if it's not as simple as you just decide to be a celebrity chef and then it happens like six months later. No, it's not. I was like, you got to stick with it even when they don't think that you're ready yet. Right. But there's times where Food Network didn't think I was ready. And mm-hmm. to be honest with you, looking back on it, I wasn't. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I was yeah. not ready. I thought I was. We always think we're ready. But sometimes that not right now is really what you need. Because mm-hmm. I always say success has a way of knowing who's ready for it who ain't. Because the person yeah. who ain't ready for it, we usually give up on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The person yeah. who is will stick with it until it happens. Just mm. don't give up ever and you'll make it. You know, like that's the key. Like yeah. success is always trying to weed out people. Yeah. Unless weed out the ones it knows who it's for and who it ain't. It's like it's always weaving the people out, like, oh, he's gonna break down, he wanna stop if this happens. Mm. But then you have people who's like, Hey, it happened, I ain't giving up. Mm. If you stick with it long enough, it will give way to you coming into mm. it. Yeah. One last question. What does success look like? as far as it pertains to generosity in this next season of your life? Success looks like me not cooking as much because I think that I'm in the season where people know me as a chef, Hmm. but I'm also going into the season where I'm trying to tell people and trying to show people who I am. So I think that generosity looks like more conversations, me saying yes to more events. Mm. I used to say no to anything that had me speaking. Uh, <laughs> not because I don't like speaking, obviously, yeah. but because I, I, it wasn't my time. Mm. And generosity just looks like being available mm. for what really matters over what may matter to me. Mm. Well, you've been super generous uh, with us and your time and I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. No, oh, thank you, man. You've been great. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. A couple things before you go. One, remember you can always follow along what we're building further at our website at www.helloagc.com. You can sign up for our email list there. Uh, As well as on Instagram, we put out a lot of additional content at at agc.future. Secondly, like I mentioned on the front end, uh, we want to do another giveaway. Here's what we really need. What we need for this podcast are additional reviews. When people leave reviews, it expands our reach and grows our impact as we strive to create a more generous future. And so what we're going to do is ask you to leave a review. And if you leave a review for our podcast, email me at Brian. I'm Brian with a Y, B-R-Y-A-N, Brian at HelloAGC.com. Say you left a review, say you'd like to participate in the giveaway for the first 10 people that email me. We've got a book. It's actually the book called Giftology, which uh, was referenced in a podcast episode a couple episodes ago that we would love to give to you and to send to you as well. So please leave a review, shoot me an email. And for the first 10 people that do that, I will be sending you a gift. Thanks so much for listening, joining us as we strive to create a more generous future.